So, I've caught up today with Daniel at Roadheath Primary School in Cheshire. He has a yoghurt pot in front of him filled with what looks like a hard white substance. This looks interesting, Daniel. Can you tell me what you're doing? Well, I'm taking the salt mixture off the tomato which is inside the pot. Looks really hard, Daniel. Yeah. Can you tell me why you're doing this? We've been learning about the ancient Egyptians in history and we want to find out how mummification worked. We put a mixture of different salts into a half tomato about three months ago and now I'm trying to find out what happened to the tomato. Uh, what are you expecting? I think the tomato will have dried up and be much smaller. Just like the Egyptian mummies, let's have a look. Oh yes, it's much smaller than before. It was 20 grams before we mummified it and now it weighs 2 grams. That's a loss of 18 grams. 18 grams, that's amazing. Mm. Do you think this investigation was a good thing to do as part of your history topic? Yes. Why do you think that is? Because I think it helps you to understand more about what the ancient Egyptians did with their dead bodies and it makes it more interesting. Has this investigation inspired you to think of more questions that you'd like to answer? Well, we could try different types of fruit or vegetables to see which would mummify best or we could try different types of salt mixtures. They sound like great ideas, Dan. I hope you get to try them out. Questioning plays a vital role in the way we learn. Young children are naturally curious about the world around them and want to know why things happen. Science is all about asking questions and seeking answers. However, as a subject, it seems to have lost its way somewhat in primary schools and can end up focusing on the facts rather than the scientific process. That's why the Great Science Share for Schools has such an important role to play in revitalising science education. It has children's questions at its heart and encourages children to talk about and share their investigations with other people. But children need to be taught how to question. After all, you wouldn't expect children to wake up one morning and suddenly be able to play one of Beethoven's piano sonatas. It needs a good deal of practice and hard work. And the same goes for asking good questions. It's a skill that requires modelling, mentoring and the time to apply. Albert Einstein famously said, If I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on the solution, I would spend the first 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. But once I know the proper question, I could solve the problem in less than five minutes. So how do you help children to ask good questions? One of the best people to answer this question is probably Dr. Lynn Bianchi, Director of the Science and Engineering Education Research Hub at the University of Manchester and founder of the Great Science Chef for Schools campaign. So Lynn, how do you help children to ask good questions? Thanks, Julie. Um, that's a really great question and something I could probably talk on for quite a few hours. Um, but three top tips might be the best way forward. 
children to me need structures that would be my top tip number one um, we shouldn't expect that they can ask a scientific question out of the blue and so giving them some support and some stimulus to do that is often the best way forward whether that's an object or an artifact or some kind of stimulus that helps them actually construct the question We've done this in the Great Science Share for Schools through the question makers, question hands, question spinners, question frames, for instance. Those kind of things can just give children that kickstart to asking scientific questions. The second top tip might be one related to timing. As a teacher, I always used to um, know that my science lesson was, for instance, on a Tuesday afternoon. And so trying to expect children to fit to our time schedules to ask creative and interesting questions doesn't always fit the bill. So perhaps let's have a think about the time that we are asking children to do this task and maybe to make that as flexible as we can. Children will have multiple questions and to have space and opportunity in their classrooms to note them down, whether that be on um, a sort of question wall. I've seen teachers use question tree, question boxes, maybe a question mat, which allows them to log a question when it comes to them, even if it might not fit in with a particular lesson at, at that time. The last one is to um, refrain from jumping in. I think, again, as, as teachers, there's a very fast pace to the day. And even as a parent, um, I often jump in far too soon to my children's conversations, um, you know, wanting to improve their question before they've even thought about it properly themselves. So maybe my, the biggest top tip here is to listen, to listen more than we speak, to allow children the space and encouragement to ask lots and lots and lots of questions and then supporting them through their own dialogue with each other and with you to choose the questions that they feel are, are the best and it's for them to understand what that means. It could be the one that they find the trickiest, it could be one that they are genuinely interested in the topic about, it's the one that actually has um, you know floated to the top after lots of different times I've always wanted to ask this question. So let's listen more, let's not jump in, let's not try and correct or make answers right or questions right or wrong, because that means that the question will remain and belong to the child rather than us taking over it far too soon. So I hope those might be three top tips that you could integrate into uh, effective question asking. Thank you, Lynn, some great tips there, particularly the one about timing, which is something that is not often considered. It must be very frustrating for children to feel that they have to save their questions for the weekly science lesson and may even discourage them. If we're trying to nurture a spirit of inquiry, then we need to try and encourage question asking at any time. Realistically, that's not always possible. So providing children with a wonder wall or question notebooks is an excellent idea. This means they can jot down their questions whenever they think of them with the knowledge that they will have their chance to share and discover the answer. Another way to promote an active questioning environment is, of course, by introducing science inquiry into other areas of the curriculum. So what subjects lend themselves best to science? And how can we use these lessons to enhance children's questioning abilities? We've talked about science being all about asking questions, but many other subjects have questions at their core too. For example, both scientists and historians ask questions, make hypotheses, and look for and evaluate evidence. We have seen from Dan's experience that history can provide an interesting starting point for investigation, leading to an enriched understanding of both the culture being studied and the scientific processes being used. 
Indeed, Sir Isaac Newton himself talked about the significance of history when he acknowledged the value of standing on the shoulders of giants to his own scientific discoveries. History can also provide a purposeful context for learning science. Studying the ancient Egyptians provides a wealth of opportunities for children to see science as part of a bigger picture, from investigating how the pyramids were built without any modern equipment, to learning about the pioneering contributions Egyptians made to astronomy. Did you know their expertise played an important role in determining the annual flooding of the Nile and aligning the pyramids towards the pole star? Someone who knows a great deal about the links between history and science is Dr. Natalie Lane, Education Coordinator at the Macclesfield Silk Museum. Natalie, you come from a scientific background, having a PhD in physics, and you work in a museum which is steeped in history. What links do you think there are between the two subjects and how does your background in science help you in your role as a historian? I think this is really interesting and the more that I think about it, the more connections that I can find. So I've always loved maths and the physical sciences was my passion, um, but I very quickly lost interest in history at school and now finding myself in a museum, I feel as though it was missold to me. I wanted something I could explore, whereas history I was very much told, learn this fact and this is how it was. Um, which didn't excite me. Now I find myself in a museum with an ancient Egypt collection and Victorian collection and history of the silk mills in Macclesfield, working alongside an Egyptologist and our curator. And I've realised that it's not like that at all. It's not a closed book. It's not finished. Macclesfield museums have, have a really huge collection of artefacts. And there are lots and lots of un unanswered questions just as there are in science and what I like about it is that the process is very similar so what I understand as a scientific process is we start with what do we know and we start with what can we observe so we're looking at things and how we look at things is really important and what measurements can we take or what can we see what do we know and then we need to find out what other sources of information there are and now we're looking at historical sources instead of perhaps data that we're collecting from an investigation. Um, but it's still the same. We're collecting information. We have to know that that information is valid. We need to check it. We need to really get into it and make sure that there's a, there's a reality there. Because some things we infer and some things are facts. And that distinction between what's a fact and what's an inference I think is quite interesting and comes back to a lot of the science as well but it's also it's an iterative process you don't sort of get to the end every time you find something new it just causes you to ask more questions and I feel like that was how I always found science that you get to one bit but all it actually meant was that you knew something more and it led to more questions so the same is true with the objects. You might find out something about it, but it just leads to new questions. And I love the discussions that come out. So we've had great conversations um, with our Victorian collections. And I always think it's fascinating because with the Victorians, we're always looking at how they, they reused materials or nothing was ever wasted. Everything would be repurposed or repaired. Um, 
and the children are so good at seeing things and making connections and they'll say it's just like recycling or it's just like when we talk at school about the environment and the need to reuse things and then they ask what I think are really important questions and they say well why did that change if we did if the Victorians did that and they knew that how did we become wasteful and why why did things change in the in-between period and these conversations go off in all different directions, but they make the connections. They make the connections between the past and the present, and they learn through that. Something that I am always really passionate about is that we are not just providing information. If young children come to us in the museum, our job that day is to not just bore them senseless with facts after fact and just providing lots and lots of information and boring them. We want to listen to them. So we listen to their questions. And also um, we have an opportunity to get them hands-on with things. And I think that you observe things differently when you've got your hands on them. So we give them opportunities to hold objects and then we can start using those skills that they've got. And it all comes back to the same stuff. It starts with the observations. What can they see? What do they know about that object? And what can they get from holding it? What, how does it smell? Like they, it can be a multi-sensory experience. And then we move on to the interpretation. And if we're lucky, we get people who come up with divergent answers to things because then we can debate it. And then we can get to the root of what the answer is. But um, not because we've told them what it is, but because they've looked at it and they've worked it out. And then we can, it's back to the scientific process. What is their evidence for? You've come up with ideas for what this object is. Well, what evidence is there? And that brings us back to the science, I think, quite nicely. There is also a huge amount of creativity in science. You can't be a scientist if you're not creative. And there's lots of opportunities when coming to the museum and looking at historical objects and artifacts to be creative and to come up with those questions and designs. And how would you do it? How would you do something differently? Um, so those are the kind of questions that we ask, but we encourage from the young people as well. We always like to, when we have school groups in, to show that there are things that we still don't know. And I, and I feel like that's always the same with science as well. So it's that unknown we don't know the answer and also the answers change i think people can also be very static with science assuming that once we know something we then know it and it's not going to change and that can cause huge problems we see it currently with people's perception of science that they they sort of have a distrust of science if it changes rather than science being what we know with the information we have at the time but as we develop new knowledge, new understanding of things, then the science appears to change. But actually, all that's really changed is that we've learned more. I believe you're developing some workshops that are connecting science and history at the museum. Can you tell me um, a bit about that? Because that sounds very exciting for the future. So I feel conscious that I think the skills are transferable from what we refer to as our sort of general sessions. But I'm conscious that we, we currently have visits that are labelled as Victorians or they're labelled as ancient Egypt. But we've been interested in developing more of a sort of science skills day or a STEM day um, because it actually touches on everything in our collections. 
and I was quite keen when I went through it and I thought we, we do materials. So if we look at the different objects and different artifacts and why different materials were used at different times, um, we've got an exciting session all around binary um, because the jacquard mechanism used in the looms is based on binary system and it's, it links in with early computing and programming. There's biology in the life cycle of the silk moth. There's chemistry in the dyeing process and the different colors. And we've got physics in the properties of silk and engineering in the, in the machinery in the mill. So we're developing sessions so that you can come and have a visit and you look at the historical objects, you, you look at the collection, but really we draw out all those different elements of science. We're also then, we've, we've been moving to think about ancient Egypt and how we can make that visit have a sort of investigative element. And that finally can tell you a bit more about Shebmet. Yeah, so one of our main objects in the museum is a mummy case made out of cartonnage, which is like a, a sort of paper mache type uh, material made out of plaster and linen. And this is the object that when we do school trips, all of the children sort of get really excited about. And in fact, they get so excited that we have to cover it over so that they don't get distracted um, during the rest of the trip. Um, but it's a really fascinating object that I've done a lot of work on researching. And it is the research that is so interesting. So that's what we're trying to get across to the children. So whereas normally, like we would say, oh, this is, the mummy case of this person who is Shevmut and this is what she did and this is when it's from. It's so much more rewarding, I think, to do what we're trying to do with this new um, session, which is give them the cartonnage mummy case and guide them through trying to find out all of these things themselves. Um, for example, we're going to be dating the mummy case um, using timelines of different um, coffins from through um, ancient Egyptian history so that they can see first of all that ancient Egypt isn't just one big block that there were, were all of these changes and we can go into those changes and why they might have happened and also they can see they can compare the objects that we have at the museum with all of these other examples to come to their own conclusions about when it was when the mummy case came from and then further exploration can um, help them to um, translate the hieroglyphs through it, through sort of looking at the inscription on the mummy case and um, more basic hieroglyphs to try and figure out what the hieroglyphs might read. It's a very short inscription, but it's got so much information in there. And then exploring what that information might mean and who the owner of this mummy case actually was. Um, and it's very interesting as well, in a way, because the mummy case itself is from a different time period than you think of in ancient Egypt. It's, very, it's from the third intermediate period. And I think that when you speak to children about ancient Egypt, they have this idea about, oh, Tutankhamun and pyramids, and it's all mixed up together as one thing, and it's all very gold and grand. Whereas the third intermediate period, a lot of people say that it's like the decline of ancient Egypt. I would disagree with that, but it's just very different. We've got um, 
pharaohs on the throne who are from um, foreign descent, um, lots of little kings rather than one main king. Um, it's much more regional. And it's just a very fascinating time period that you see a lot of in museums, but people don't tend to talk about because it's not, it doesn't fit into the narrative that we sort of know as ancient Egypt. Thank you, Bryony. Obviously, research is an important aspect of science inquiry, and I'm sure there are many scientific questions that the investigation into this mummy case would inspire. Of course, you don't have to limit yourself to history when making links with science. There is potential to enhance scientific inquiry in many curriculum areas. The most important factor is providing a context which will inspire your children to ask questions. So what are the benefits of developing these links? Apart from making learning more memorable and fun, because let's not forget that, allowing children to develop their critical thinking skills through the use of questioning will help them to become more effective communicators and ultimately problem solvers, vital life skills. 